Lasting change starts with education. Here are the voices for our future that are inspiring meaningful change for the next generation. This episode of Voices for Our Future was produced by Bloom Communications and sponsored by Campus Advantage. Zach Nunn is an organizational change management leader with a background in human resources and has experience across a variety of industries in leadership coaching, team building, strategic communications, business process improvement, succession planning, and organizational development. He is also very passionate about matters surrounding diversity and inclusion and is the founder of Living Corporate, a media startup that centers black and brown perspectives and experiences in corporate America. Hey, Zach, thank you so much for joining us on Voices for Our Future. Welcome to the podcast. What's up? Nothing much. How are you doing? It's 7.30 p.m. Thank you for joining. (laughs) You know what? I appreciate you for being so flexible. I know that um, I know that we had some some coordination challenges. So, no, I'm excited to be here. And uh, yeah, you asked me how I'm doing. So, uh, you know, that's just such a loaded question in 2020, like the longest, you know, three year, one year, year that we've ever had. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, we'll I'll, I'll see 2021 as we're getting up close to the finish line and we'll you know, we'll, we'll have some better fortunes for us. But um, but yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I'm good as well. It does feel like I've aged five years. But, <laughs> you know, the anxiety has settled a little and um, I'm just happy to be here, you know. OK, so you are the founder of Living Corporate. You're an organizational change management professional at PricewaterhouseCoopers and you're based in Houston, Texas. How did you end up in Texas? First, yes, all those things you said are true. Those are all factual statements. Uh, as it pertains to, as it pertains to my entry into Texas, you know, I came to Texas as a kid. I was like six. I was born in Rome, Georgia. It's a relatively small town. It's like a, a, a decent sized little city now, but when I was there, it was a small town. And uh, I've been in, you know, really grew up in like the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, moved to Minnesota for a couple of years to live with my dad when I was in middle school came back to Texas for high school and then went to uh, move to Houston to go to college, uh, to go to the University of Houston. And I've been there since uh, 2008. So I haven't really left Houston in terms of like my home base. I really like it here. So I moved to Austin about two and a half years ago. Where you come from? I'm from Los Angeles originally. I'll turn up. Okay. And I know nothing about Houston. I've driven through once and went to a bar there one time. What's what's good about Houston? Like I hear so many great things and just driving through. I mean, the city is huge. Yeah. Um, I was like really blown away. So look, I feel like I'm a, a pretty unapologetic Houston advocate. Like I really, I really love Houston as a city and as a, as a space. So what's good about Houston? So what isn't good about The only thing about Houston that you can, you can say is, is, is tough is that Houston aesthetically is not pretty. Right. Like it's not a pretty city, but Houston, but Houston is ethnically diverse. It is queer affirming. It is a great place uh, for like the energy and healthcare sectors. Even now in this economy, the work is there's still um, a lot of work here. Uh, real estate values are very strong. You can still get a nice sized home without, you know, taking on some astronomical amount of debt. Um, there's a great art scene in Houston. What else? Great food in Houston. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, it's interesting kind of like moving from Dallas. Uh, I remember my first thing was like, man, I remember I was telling my 
my girlfriend at the time, my, now my wife, I was like, you know, why is it that every time I have to, I drive somewhere, it takes 30 minutes. That's like the one thing about Houston that I did not care for. And I still don't super care for, but I mean, we've been in a pandemic. I don't go outside. So I don't even feel that pain point anymore. <laughs> so, Okay. So I listened to part of a podcast episode you recorded recently, and you said you're a first generation corporate person or professional. Um, you've worked at a number of well-known companies like Target and Accenture and PwC. Tell me about how you got to where you are and how you ended up being involved in organizational change management and not just being like an employee, but a professional and a leader in that space. What a great question. Um, yeah. So, you know, I am a first generation corporate professional or corporate person and I don't have a bunch of uncles and aunts and parents who can like talk to me about how to navigate these spaces. And so you asked me how I got into it. I think, you know, starting off, like I graduated from the University of Houston, go Cougs. I graduated in three years um, because I really wanted to like get a job and buy a house for this woman, for my wife. Um, I started off at Target uh, as an HR manager because my my major was in retail management. And so Target was like the premier place to work. I don't know. I feel like you get a bunch of unsuspecting kids and, you know, you're told that, you know, retail apparently is like the sexy thing to do. It's, it's not. Um, so I was there and like I was I really like cut my teeth on like basic HR. But I realized that like, I don't know, Jessica, like that wasn't the vibe. Like that just wasn't my my speed or my bag. Like I didn't really want to do like cookie cutter work over and over again. Like I'm, I'm a fairly creative person. The P and like just like the stores are designed, the roles are designed. There isn't a lot of space for creativity. And so I transitioned from HR management and I got into organizational development in the energy industry. And that path, like getting into like the more strategic HR, eventually led me into change management because I I was passionate and continue to be passionate about working with individuals and leaders to help solve their problems with their employees or with their teams or how to make teams more efficient or how to make sure that organizations are ready for whatever change is coming down the pipeline or making sure that leaders can lead better. Like those are things that are in the HR function, but that's like the, that's kind of like the ancillary stuff that like an HR manager would do. I really wanted that to be like my full-time thing. And so to your question about like, not only how did I get into that space, but how I've become a leader in that space, that's a very flattering question. And I appreciate you asking I think I've been able to, to to build a certain level of leadership in this space through developing different methodologies, like everywhere I go. So like I can point to programs and delivery methodologies that I've built over and over and over. Um, So that's, that's just, a, I've noticed that as a pattern of mine. Now I look back on like every place I've left since, since 2013, I can look back and be like, Oh, I built that program. Oh, I built that. Oh, it's still, and it's still there. Right. And so I think, I think for me, it's the demonstration of thought leadership by developing something new and a, a new way of working has helped me develop like that, build that leadership muscle. Can you talk a little bit about what organizational change management is? Um, organizational change management, it often involves getting individuals ready or prepared for some type of change that is coming. So I'll give a really simple example. Let's say at Bloom, y'all 
currently use abacuses. You know, abacuses, the things, you know, you, you, you put your finger on and you slide the little pebble across the, and people don't use abacuses to do math anymore because it's the year 2020. So we've decided, or rather your leadership has decided that they're going to install Microsoft Office and a core element of Microsoft Office is Excel. But wait, you may say, we don't know anything about this Microsoft Office, quote unquote, and I've certainly never heard of Excel. What does this mean for my job? How am I going to learn this newfangled thing you call a computer? And that's where I come in as an organizational change management leader. I can help make sure that you and your teams are prepared for this new way of working. And I, I do that in what ways? We have conversations and we figure out the change impacts, which is, again, literally how your day-to-day -day job is going to change. We create communications to make sure that you know Microsoft Office is coming and this is what it means for all these different business units at your company. Then we create training so you can learn Microsoft Office. And then after all of that, we make sure that you have the skills and tools to continue to grow and do your job with Microsoft Office. So that's a very silly, simple example. But that's what OCM is all about. It's about getting people ready for whatever change. That's a technology implementation. But there's also things like, let's say, like there's a merger and acquisition and like there's a new way of working or there's some type of, you know, huge leadership change like the CEO left. And now this new CEO wants to do things completely different. Right. It's about getting the organization ready for whatever those changes are and then making sure that when those changes happen, they're not surprised. So you are also the founder of Living Corporate, a really awesome organization that is centered around amplifying diverse and marginalized voices, specifically in the workplace. Um, and with this work, your goal is to affirm marginalized people and their experiences. Why did you start Living Corporate? Was there something that you specifically experienced that pushed you to create this community? Yeah. So, you know, like I just think my specific experiences around being like the only black guy corporate like everywhere I go and also like looking for spaces and conversations that kind of like got past all the niceties and like could really affirm and help me encourage me and help me and give me some advice on how to navigate these spaces um, so it was like a culmination of just like my life and my my professional my professional career that just spurred me to be like I'm just gonna build this myself right um, that's that's really where it came from. Like I remember I Googled like black at work. Like if you type in black at work, you're going to see some books, right? You're gonna see like some medium posts, but you're not going to see like a media platform or network that like creates all this media that's directly and consistently and explicitly focused on being black and brown at work. Like it just doesn't exist. It didn't exist until, you know, two and a half years ago when I built Living Corporate. And for me, like, I think about the fact that like my experience is not unique. Like you said earlier, I'm a first generation corporate professional. I'm from the South. I'm the first man on my mom's side of the family to start and graduate from a four year university. Like that profile that I just described is like very common, right? I'm a second generation reader on my dad's side, meaning my dad taught my grandfather how to read. Like, that's not 
actually rare. <laughs> and so what does it look like for all of these people? And when you think about like American history, right? Think about American history and like of civil rights, right? So black people have been equal to white folks for 52 years. Because you think about the last, the passage of the uh, 19, the Civil Rights Act 1968. So we've had all of the same rights as white people on paper for 52 years. That's less than a human lifetime. My mom was born in 1964. So my mom was born without all of her rights, right? And so then you think about like these generations, the millennial generation is, you could argue is like, it's like corporate America is face is like, is now is, has been facing like the largest influx of black and brown talent that they've ever had. And then you think about Gen Z, same thing, like the world, like America's getting browner and so is, and so is like professional spaces. And so like, what does it look like for this whole group of people to navigate? Like what kind of content can they, can they engage in to make sure that they feel seen and heard and that they're understood? And what does it look like to have conversations that aren't just centered around like white comfort, right? And so you asked me about like what experience is like. So I'm sure you've heard of like, you know, employee resource groups and, you know, employee, for those who, who don't know what an employee resource group is, employee resource group is uh, like, a, like a team or group at work that is founded on some level of sameness. So you can have an employee resource group around, you know, race. So you could do like, there's a black, a black employee resource group, or you could do a women's employee resource group or an LGBTQ employee resource group or a black women's employee resource group. Like it's like different, it's like groups based on lived and expressed identity. And so for me, what was my, my challenge when it, when it came to like this space and like, and just my frustration just kind of came to a boiling point, Jessica, when over and over again, I would join these black res- employee resource groups and I'd be like, okay, what is this for? And they would say, well, you know, we just kind of chat and we kind of talk. It's like, okay, but do we ever have like any real authentic conversations about like the racism that we're experiencing? And like, do we advocate and like try to figure out ways to like hold, you know, institutions accountable and like leadership accountable? And do we advocate for sponsors? They're like, well, no, that's not, that's not what this is for. This is just for us to kind of vent to each other. I'm like, I mean, okay, that's cool. Like I'm not, but I'm, I'm not looking to vent like that at work. Right. I'm looking for help at work. I'm looking for somebody to advocate for me at work. And if we're going to have conversations, I'm looking for like frank, honest conversations. I'm looking for political, quote unquote, PC conversations. I'm looking for honest, authentic conversations that don't necessarily over index on making or not making white people uncomfortable. Like I, I don't care about making white people uncomfortable if I'm being mistreated. <laughs> like that's, you know what I mean? Like I, so it was, it was a lot of that. And so finally, I just say, look, I want to create a platform where I have Dr. Robin D'Angelo on and we talk about white fragility in a really frank way. I want to have a platform where I have Nicole Hannah-Jones on, the author of the 1619 Project, and we talk about this struggle and experience of black folks in America and the systems and structures that need to be dismantled so that we can be free. I want to have a conversation with Michael C. Bush, the CEO of Great Place to Work, about what does it look like to create a great place to work in an era where diversity and inclusion is becoming more and more of a focal point. Like, and that's the kind that those are the types of discussions that we have and we're going to continue to have um, because we're not really like beholden to any corporation, like living corporate is an entity that is fully owned and operated by myself. Can you talk more about why spaces like living corporate are so important and why we need to invest 
more in the next generation of black and brown professionals right now? Wow, that's a great man. You know, these are good questions. Like, hold on, y'all. Like, for real, yo, shout out to you, okay? And shout out to Bloom also. <laughs> y'all are cold. This is impressive. Now, I'm, I do podcasts, okay? <laughs> Everybody doesn't ask good questions, yo. This is good. <laughs> hey, if if you didn't start living corporate, if you weren't you, I would not have these questions. So, no, thank you. <laughs> oh snap! I'm turning purple. You got me blushing. Okay, um, so, okay, so. Why is living corporate as a platform important? Living corporate as a platform is important because like I think I said a little bit, I kind of said earlier is there aren't platforms. There isn't content that like, again, like unabashedly, unapologetically interrogates white supremacist, patriarchal and capitalist systems that harm black people at work. And there isn't content that like does that through black and brown voices. Like that just doesn't, that doesn't exist. Like we don't, like we're creating, you know, upwards of three podcast episodes a week just on our one podcast. We have a whole nother podcast um, for that's weekly, right? Under this living corporate umbrella called the leadership range. So like that content just doesn't exist. And like, because when you talk about diversity and inclusion, it's white centric, which means like, you know, we don't, we, it's the language that we use, we'll say words like unconscious bias, right? Or um, we'll talk about positive intentions. Like we don't, we reject that language. I'll compare it to, you know, at work, a black or brown person. And my wife tells me, cause she, my wife tells me, you know, women do this as well as like, you know, you have the real conversations away from the office. Like you might, you might talk over drinks or over coffee or, you know, over a lunch. And like, that's when you really have the real honest dialogues about the the bs at work or what to do and what not to do and those aren't conversations that you're necessarily going to have in a corporate sponsored happy hour or corporate sponsored you know table talk or whatever the case is and so i'm trying to take that energy of like that person that looks like you pulling you aside and giving you real talk i'm trying to like i'm bottling that and i'm trying to give that to people three times a week right and that's important because those conversations don't happen like that in corporate spaces, not only because of um, because of just like how racism works, but because many black people are the only black people at their jobs. So, like, they don't even have an opportunity to have those conversations because there's nobody else there. Right. And then your second question of why should. Why is it important for for organizations and for and for just like the world society to invest in black and brown talent in the future because black and brown people make the world move like we're the innovators and the movers and the shakers like we create everything that's that's fire when you talk about innovation and i'm not saying that white people aren't innovative that's not what i'm saying what i am saying is is that when you think about innovation and historically like where innovation has come from it's come from these groups that have been historically marginalized and discounted and undermined and underappreciated and shortchanged. And so like, sometimes like I see these, I, I meet incredible young people and I see the things that they're doing, or I just look on the, I look like on Twitter or whatever. And I just see like, like these young people doing all this crazy stuff. I'm like, dang, what would happen if you just like gave them a little bit more investment? They could, they're, it's great. They're great at doing it now. They could do even more. Right. Um, there's, a, there's just an immense amount of value in that. There's so much value in that. And like, 
it doesn't even take a lot. I think that's that's the other part is like some of the things that like when I talk to my colleagues and their frustrations at work and when you ask them, OK, what do you actually want? It's like if you would just not like screw people over, they would stay. They would stay like if you just treat them decently, like it's not like you got to like change up your entire. Well, maybe some of y'all do, but most times it's like you got to change up your entire way of working. It's like, yo, just give them a fair shake. Support them, sponsor them, and they will you'll get that return back in dividends. And so I'm hoping that I'm hoping that that becomes like the norm and that people really do that. But, you know, time will tell. Do you have any advice or anything to say to business owners or people who run their or their own organization who can't necessarily or don't have the means to hire a chief diversity and inclusion officer? And maybe they want to increase representation on their team, but just don't know where to start. Yeah. So, you know, the beautiful thing about the Internet is that it's like largely free, right? Like Google is crazy. That people don't, you know, Jessica, like people don't really talk about Google enough. Man. Google is like this huge platform. This is not an ad also. I got well, no, it's not an ad because I'm not I didn't agree to do an ad on your podcast. Um, <laughs> and the thing about Google and what I've learned from my f- friends and colleagues who work at Google is that like Google as a search engine is literally getting better. Like it's getting better at Googling things every millisecond like while we've been talking google has gotten x percent better right and so i think there's something to be said about like investigating and like just researching looking things up and the other thing i'll say is that like there's so much content that black and brown people put out there for free right that you can learn about how to diversify your workforce like there's like so much thought leadership out there for free. i mean living corporate is completely free my tactical answer would be to go to living-corporate.com and then just use our search function and type in diversify your workforce and you'll get like 17 podcasts and three blogs and two web shows that talk about diversifying your workforce, right? And and then just listen to those things and then go do those things. And then I would also say though that like, let's just say, let's say like you pull up the research and it's like great content. You go, I still don't know how to do this. And you say, well, I can't afford it. It's like, I just questioned like, okay, well, what is it that you can't afford? Right? Like, and the small business is also a huge, like, I don't, there's a range of what a small business is. So, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're over here making, you know, homemade pizzas and you frisbeeing them to your neighbors, I mean, okay, well, maybe you probably can't get a chief diversity officer. But like, if you got some bread, like you can, you can reach out and do a one day webinar a one day show one like a like a workshop or something like that like there there are still ways to be cost effective in getting advice and not asking people to give it to you for free since you since you don't want to just stop at google right um that would be my take is that like there are a lot of cost effective folks cost effective ways and folks out there who are willing to work with you if you honor them by paying them for their time and their expertise even if it's just a short period of time. And you're going to get those returns back if you listen, right? If you listen. So I want to talk about your um, podcasts that you have a little bit. So you have Living Corporate, and then you have a number of different series under Living Corporate, like Real Talk Tuesdays. I listen to a few of them, um, where you sit down with executives, entrepreneurs, creatives, 
and more people like that, that center black and brown experiences at work, see it to be it, and then tap in with Tristan. So I'm wondering if you find that there are common or recurring narratives that you hear from people you've talked to, and if so, what are those narratives and why do you think that they continue to exist? So yes, there are common narratives for sure across all of those different platforms. And to your point, like, yes, Living Corporate as a as an umbrella has different series, you know, series on that one podcast. And then we also have the Leadership Range, which is hosted by Neil Edwards. And that is a podcast focused on inclusive leadership and leadership development targeted for black and brown leaders and aspirational allies. And I would just say across the board, courage and boldness, right? And so like courage and boldness, a lot of times when you think we use those words, you think about like how you export courage to uh, like, you know, how you like deliver and like how you show up to others, right? So like, you know, speaking your mind in a moment, speaking truth to power and those are, and, and you know, having the courage uh, to do those things and, and the boldness to those things. And that's true and that's valid. But I've also heard, I've also picked up on a pattern of having courage and boldness with yourself being honest and audacious with your dreams and your passions and your goals and advocating for yourself. But like you have to see yourself fully and appreciate yourself enough to even start that journey. Right. And I, that's something I've, I've picked up on. There's a certain level of like responsibility and ownership that we take in like honoring our own voices and our own person by speaking up for ourselves um, by having the courage to look and see ourselves fully by honoring the reality that there are times when we are tired, when we are hurt, when we are feel exploited and having the courage to like embrace that. And then, then also having the courage on making a decision on what to do with that. And then that's when you find, as you continue to find your voice, you then, you then courage, you're courageous and bold with others, but you've already been courageous and bold with yourself. So like, that's one like really big example uh, that I've seen. And the other one I would say, I think which falls into that is like, is love and like self-care, right? Is like the people that, sh- that come up on, on Living Corporate, on all of our content, right? From our web shows to our podcast series, to the leadership range, to our blogs, there's a certain level of just self-care and intentionality um, that I that I see because that that's the only way that you can have these conversations. Like it's scary to talk about and point out the fact that you're one of the onlys. Like that's hard. That's a hard thing to do, and it can be uncomfortable. Um, but what can push people through that discomfort? Indexing appropriately on caring for yourself. And that's a theme that I pick up on a lot. This is not a plug, but maybe it is a plug. There are other themes uh, that we've found. And if you go to Living Corporate and you click our catalog, you can actually sort and filter on those themes. And you can filter by industry at the same time. So like, you know, talk about supporting black women at work and entrepreneurship and um, LGBTQ experiences and culture or or um, citizenship like there's there's a lot of other themes and like we've been we've been thoughtful about how to bucketize those and 
so that if a visitor who goes to the website and they search our catalog, it's easy for them to like see all of those different conversations like organized in that way. So going back to like just being motivated to continue this work, are there people that have inspired you throughout your life or that you know or maybe don't know that you look up to? Firstly, my wife. Uh, she's she is like my biggest cheerleader, my biggest fan, my biggest supporter and and encourages me when I feel when I get down, when I get, you know, overwhelmed by these systems um, that persist. Um, I, my uh, father, Edward Dwayne Nunn, uh, Edwards, actually Edwards with an S Edwards Dwayne Nunn. And then my mother, Valerie Jean Kendrick. I have some incredible mentors for Norris Pearson, Matamba, Fernando Austin. Liz Swigert, right? Just to name a few. Um, these are all people who like, you know, have pulled me aside and had those real talk conversations with me in the corporate space. Um, my team, right? Um, like if you go to Living Corporate's website, again, that's living-corporate.com and you scroll to the bottom, you'll see like this whole, like just beautiful, like panoramic of people, like of different genders and colors and backgrounds and expertise and like all of those people inspire me, right? Like top to bottom and they motivate me. And then I would say the last, the last, you know, group or folks that really motivate me are the people who, who listen and they send me messages on LinkedIn or they write reviews and they'll say like, wow, you really said this, this really helped me. This really blessed me. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I constantly, constantly am looking for and am finding inspiration and motivation from a really great community of people who, have the audacity to care about me. And I'm really thankful for them. Um, so, yeah. So, the, yeah, I get I get motivation every day. And then my daughter, who's seven months old, going on eight months old, Emery, she will be a black woman existing in this world. And I, I create this content and I try to create media that pushes against these systems uh, with the hope that um, her road will be less tumultuous than mine has been. I could ask you a thousand more questions, but I will end it with this one. What is next for you on your journey? Ooh, what a big question. Um, you know, you know, you can sit back and rattle off a bunch of stuff, but like we don't know. Like life is random. Life is life is random and there's some there's beauty and terror in that at the same time. I hope that uh my journey uh continues with um you know, centering and amplifying black and brown people at work, uh, being the best husband and father I can be and, you know, continuing to um, to build a platform that I believe serves and helps a lot of people. That's that's what I hope is next. Zach, thanks so much for joining us on Voices for Our Future. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Voices for Our Future. Learn more about Bloom Communications at bloomcommunications.com and this month's sponsor, Campus Advantage, at campusadv.com. Tune in next week to hear from another special guest. And make sure to follow and share if you like our content.